This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. This episode is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own professional website or online portfolio. For a free trial and 10% off, Go to squarespace.com and use offer code SPP. The podcast where we talk to smart people, but not necessarily done by smart people. That is an awesome question. This one goes down probably on one of my top five. Hey, I like nutrition. I like to eat food. This is the coolest thing ever. We're going to do this forever. I wish I paid more attention in that class. You know, I'm going to be honest. I don't understand that. As a man, I just, I don't get it. SmartPeoplePodcast.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Smart People Podcast, where we have conversations that satisfy your curious mind. I'm Chris Stem. And I'm John Rojas. And today we are satisfying the very not curious subject of mail. Mail. What is it good for? <laughs> no, I mean, like, it's crazy, right? That's one of the things we like doing is mail is something that we used to interact with all the time. We still do, right? You still get stuff. But you never think of it. And so we have an expert on mail, which is kind of crazy. And it goes into a very interesting kind of wormhole. And these are the things we try to uncover. I don't know. When's the last time you even thought about mail? I don't. And that's, <laughs> that's the funniest thing. We kind of take it for granted. And I, we just watched a fantastic oh <laughs> Jerry Seinfeld clip from Jimmy Fallon's new late show or whatever it's called. You have to put a, you have to I'm, put that link. I'm hundred percent linking to it, but he's talking about the mail and being a business model from 1630 and all this kind of stuff. But in reality, there's a lot of technology and thought and all this stuff that goes in into the mail. And that's what we're discussing on the podcast. Yeah. Have you ever really thought about that? You know, the technology behind it. And it was pretty crazy when John actually brought this to me, he said, you know, let's talk to this guy. I was like, really mail, but that's what we're here to do. And at the end of the interview, as always, I was like, okay, new appreciation learned a lot. This week, we're talking to Bill Shannon, who is the vice president of Post and Carrier Solutions at Pitney Bowes. Bill has worked on their international unit. He's been there for a long time. It's really interesting the take on mail that you can have when you work for decades at a company whose main business is mail. Yeah, and that's another thing that was surprising during the interview was he's been at this job for close to 30 years or 30 or more years, whatever it was. And, you know, that's something that we don't see anymore. Like we don't spend time at jobs, but he broke it down and let us know that his mission was to jump from 
sector to sector to sector within this company. So everything felt fresh and new, which was a cool perspective at looking at somebody who's had such loyalty to a company for such a long time. In the mail industry. Yeah, in the mail. Who who knew that mail would still be around? <laughs> so anyways, we're going to turn it over to Bill. Make sure you head on over to smartpeoplepodcast.com. Let us know what you think. Even more important, it really helps if you tell a friend, tweet about it, all that good stuff. We're in the social world, social economy, if you will. And we want to reach more people. So hope you enjoy Bill Shannon. All right, Bill. Well, thanks again so much for being on the show. We're, at, we're really excited to talk to you because, as you may have noticed, we do talk to a lot of people, entrepreneurs. We talk to a lot of CEOs, high ups in business. But a lot of the time we focus and the media focuses on these small media darlings, you know, the the tech companies or the new up and comers, and they they're fleeting a lot of times. And as a VP at Pitney Bowes, that's a company that has been around for a long, long time and made it through a lot of changes. And so, you know, we're really excited to kind of get your take on what it's like. Well, first of all, what you do there. I'm really interested in, in kind of your specific duties and then what it's like to work for such a juggernaut. Well, sure. I'll start there. It's always easy to talk about yourself first, right? <laughs> That's right. So I, at Pitney, I've kind of got a fairly open role. My title is Vice President of Post and Carrier Solutions. And I focus on really where there's opportunities or where there's problems around the world. I'm a staff vice president. It's a role that I started about two and a half years ago. Really uncertain about what is this job? Why am I doing this? Uh, but I wanted to change. I'd run our engineering group, our global engineering department. I'd run our global product marketing and then product management. I'd run international IT. I mean, I just had a variety of jobs. And I, but I'd never been a staffer. So I'm in a staff job now. A lot of my time is focused on the USPS because of the amount of change going on there. And again, tend to work on, on issues on how do we work better together with the Post, how do we get our mutual customers and uplift them and, and deal in this time of great change because it's, uh, it's an amazing time of change for mail. Something we thought was going to happen actually in the early 90s, mid 90s, you know, early 2000s. And it wasn't until about 2008 that uh, things really started to change in the mail and for the posts around the world. You spend years and years running, being a manager of managers and trying to position things and in a corporate-type role. And then all of a sudden, you're in your home office looking at an old painting, getting on the phone each day, and traveling around a bit, and trying to figure out how to add value. And I've been doing that. But what I found was this is probably the most fun I've had at work. Hmm. And I've been at Pitney both 30 years this year. Wow. wow. Congratulations. Yeah. Thanks. Man, there's so many questions I have that come from that. Let's dive into the, as you mentioned, and I think one of the most interesting things that, that we can get talking to you is all the change that's happening, specifically in the way that mail is delivered. Because one of the things John and I talk a lot about is, you know, podcasting is new media. Social media is new media. But as we've learned, old media, radio, TV, that still dominates. And in the same way, I feel like email is great. People use it nonstop. People connect on social media. But mail keeps chugging along. 
And what do you see needs to happen to keep it as a, a mainstay in communications for individuals and businesses? Well, first of all, probably the most important thing to do is break down what is mail. Because people think of mail very often and they think of the, a letter they might write or Christmas cards or, or bills. And in the industry, we look at mail and we look at uh, mail that is really uh, transactional mail. And transactional mail would be bills that are primarily business to consumer. And that would typically be first class mail. And their invoices, statements, and bills, that type of thing. And that type of mail is being quickly usurped by other forms of substitution. Typically, it's being done by, by other payment methods. Uh, you, and, and I could talk about that a bit, but it's kind of boring because what it says is, geez, paper's not that great for that. The reason it stay, that stays around and doesn't just fall off the map is because you have to be able to get to the recipient with the information in the form they're willing to consume it and act on it. And not all people are willing to act on financial information or bills based upon uh, an electronic uh, means or uh, an email or a secure email form of email. So first-class mail or transaction mail sort of hangs around. Second type of mail they tend to look at is advertising mail. And advertising mail has actually grown and then has recently been flattened out with the economic downturn around the world. The third type of mail that you think about is correspondence mail. And correspondence mail is, uh, is definitely been on the decline for quite a while. And that's really people-to-people -people type mail. It's type of mail that, however, is, is, there's a lot of nostalgia for, for writing a letter, reading the letters of Thomas Jefferson or Winston Churchill. It's really cool. And it's very personal. And then the fourth area, and this, trust me, this is the last, is, uh, <laughs> is parcels or packages. And that area is, uh, is huge, glowing like crazy, because you can't move atoms through, uh, yet through, uh, through technology. You have to physically move them and technology can assist. And the posts in that area are, are, very, are in a very competitive world, both with some of the big guys, you know, like a FedEx or a UPS, but also local carriers and all sorts of different means. So there's a lot of innovation going on around packages now, all the way up to, you know, recent announcements where you get speculation or, or news uh, driven by, you know, Amazon with the droid delivery concept and those sorts of things. But it's all about how do you get stuff to people in the shortest amount of time while, uh, while they're still interested or, or, or move quickly. So same day delivery or within an hour delivery with the droid. Those are, those are sort of the types of innovation, but there's a lot of innovation underneath that. And it's quite frankly the area that, you know, I focus on a lot now working with Post because the global Post, when you look at what I just described, they're like, wow, like my transaction mail's going away. I have tons and tons of people and mail carriers and sorters and post offices. What am I going to do? How do I survive? What is the existential threat to them? Hmm. Because first-class mail is a high-margin form of mail, and so it's, a, it's been really, really, really disruptive in the last uh, five years. And there's been a lot of innovation around advertising mail and mixed media and a lot of innovation around how do I get back in the shipping game, gain share, take advantage of my footprint and uh, what I have as a post office and compete with uh, some of the carriers.
that that hopefully gives you sort of a broad picture when I talk about mail. I'm talking about really those four areas. It definitely does, and it's funny because so much stuff goes on behind the scenes. I know when I sell stuff on eBay and I go to pay for shipping online and print out the label at home so I just can drop it off at the post office, I notice when I print out that label that there's the little Pitney Bowes thing there or provided by Pitney Bowes, that type of thing. But it seems like this goes on behind the scenes. What kind of technologies are out there that you guys are really disrupting the parcels and packages industry? Well, you know, when you look at the uh, the parcels and packages, one of the first things we did was work with eBay uh, back several years ago when we embedded something called uh, PC postage in the United States or internet postage into the eBay sender technology, where eBay's got all the logic and discussion from a front in the application. Behind the scenes, we provide the postage payment, the postage evidencing, and some of the tracking information that uh, a seller would want to know or a receiver would want to know about their package. And that technology was really, it was really a good marriage of Pitney Bowes working with a huge growth opportunity like eBay to be able to uh, leverage some of our strengths because while there are other players in the air in the in this area and they've done quite well and they advertise on a lot of podcasts. <laughs> um, at that time, we had the scale to be able to and with integrity, be able to run reliably that many packages, have the uptime through the holidays. And uh, it, it's really been a great partnership. So that's one piece of, and probably the first piece we went after in terms of how do we leverage some of this new technology. We'd always kind of been in the shipping business because uh, postage meters, old-fashioned postage meters, which is the corner of our business, mm-hmm. had been used to ship. You could put a scale next to it. You weigh it. You figure out, choose what type of service you want to send in terms of do you want insurance, do you want to use priority now, et cetera. You had to figure out a rate and it put the postage onto the uh, either a strip that you put on a package or directly on an envelope if your envelope is small enough to run through there. You know, we've kind of been in the game. This level of technology, when you roll it in the Internet and you have it a payment method at that sort of scale and to make it transparent. So our view was, hey, we didn't need to be in front, but we needed to provide the the type of service levels on the Internet that would be consistent and would allow commerce to grow. So that really, for Pitney Bowes, became a real mainstay of technology. And we we look at that technology, that behind-the-scenes Internet postage, as both assisting companies pay for postage and provide status tracking and tracking information or service information between a seller and a recipient. So that behind-the-scenes action, it's really kind of simple when you think about it, but there's stuff that goes on. So we're sort of the intermediaries that allows that transaction to happen and to make it an implemented transaction, which is an older technology term, but the information that's coupled with a, a physical transaction to make that transparent and smooth and available between the buyer and seller. In some cases, and some things that we're very focused on in terms of growing that business is when you send a package overseas, it can be pretty difficult. There can be paperwork. It can be somewhat confusing. There can be customs. There's forms. How do you track it across country lines? And how does that work? We've built technology to enable that in this cross-border transactions, and that can be used by retailers, e-commerce sites, 
and we use that as a point to grow because obviously um, if your companies are not don't work just within their boundaries, growth is globalized today, and services tend to want to explode quicker. And to explode quicker, you need to get rid of that friction between the buyer and seller. So we've looked at how do you do the transactions? How do you pay for postage? How do you broker all that information and allow it to happen so that the buyer and the seller aren't bogged down and they're really focused on their transaction? And how do you get it at the right rate and how do you optimize it? And so that international transaction business uh, is something that has uh, really been a growth area, it's something where we've got quite good at and uh, have focused on in recent years. I know at the beginning of the episode, you mentioned that you have a lot of global experience. You used to do, within Penny Bowes, different jobs with a global reach. And I was wondering, as you have been looking at the way mail in general, those four different types we talked about, how they're dealt with in different countries, where is there some major differences that, for us, the majority of our listeners in America aren't aware of. You know, I'm sure when it comes to places like maybe Europe and Canada, very similar. But if you go to somewhere like maybe India or Africa, maybe different, how does that work or what has your experience been? I'll tell a story because I think it gets, it's just, it's personal, but it also gets kind of interesting. If you go back, 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 back in history, Bill Clinton was very big on globalization and trying to break down trade barriers. And he had a, a commerce secretary named Ron Brown, who uh, unfortunately passed away while he was traveling globally. And Ron Brown really, really wanted to link economies together to create better commerce. And he asked a number of companies to, to get involved and to try to fuel this global growth and capabilities. And, and we were one of them. And in particular, it was to open some opportunities with China. But it was more than just China. He also opened up a lot of Eastern Europe opportunities. That's after the wall went down and all that. So I, I was very fortunate at that time to be an ambassador for Pitney Bowes. And to, I spent three weeks in China trying to look at their mail system and to speak with the government officials and mail officials in the, in the different provinces. And we were in Beijing, Shanghai, Canton. And it was just unbelievable when you looked at the differences in and in terms of how they communicated. That's broken down a lot more, but one of the things that broke it down was the opening up of, in both in, in say, Eastern Europe, former, uh, more communist-type regimes. What changed was the ability to communicate more freely and to travel more freely, uh, whether that be by, you know, by phone or Internet or mail, and the travel is the breakdown of the, the checks and stops and those types of things. And that opens up more of a free trade capability. So idealistically, you know, I saw that as, wow, this is great because this is progress. This is moving the world on. And what I found when I went there, I went and visited a lot of post offices, is the fact that there was just a tremendous amount of manual effort because the human capital was all over the place. There were more people than there was technology. And when I talked to the managers, they would say, why would I want a sorting machine? when I can have people sort it. And it was a good question because we were into automating whether it be packages or letters and, and trying to speed the movement of things. And I said, well, it's not all about just sorting it. It's, doing, it's accuracy, integrity, knowing where it is, the information around it, and it's doing it faster. And even though you might be able to have more people go at it, 
you're not going to be able to, to do it with as much information that's transparent to the sender receiver or interested parties, and they're, they're not going to be able to do it as, as efficiently. And they were like, ah, because, you know, in their minds, when you have a lot of people, you're just going to throw it at a problem. And uh, they were, you know, in India, China, uh, Malaysia, different areas in the mail and postage and shipping areas, they were throwing people at the problem. Right. And when they began to start moving technology at the problem, what it did is it sort of fueled commerce and it grew some of the economies. Now, those differences have sort of melted away over time. And we're seeing, you know, a great appetite for leveraging any kind of shipping cross-border capability. We've seen coalitions of companies, posts come together. We're seeing one big thing happen where the posts, the local posts are focused more on the act of delivery and third parties maybe are more providing services and working with the sellers around it and driving into the post to do delivery. So the posts sort of go to a core competency of delivering. And an example in the U.S., but it, it applies internationally, is there's a new type of service call that's been around for a little bit that, that's really FedEx and USPS working together uh, called SmartPost. We're in it growing very quickly where FedEx will basically be the agent that's taking the order and picking up the package, but the delivery is, is a handoff between FedEx and USPS, and so it's sort of a combined service. And this gets interesting because it kind of allows the most efficient and flexible players to be involved in their particular in the particular act of growing business, and it, it, it's kind of natural, but it's happening around the world where the posts become a service for delivery. Some posts actually have gone way beyond that and diversify, and there's different ways they go in different posts. In Italy, they still have a big banking. They sell. They have a cell phone network. They sell cell phones, and that diversity has allowed them to deal with some of the declining mail. But by and large, most of the posts are focusing on how do we take advantage of our infrastructure uh, to be more efficient and a focused delivery and look to keep our volumes up by getting into the shipping world, working with other players. This week's episode is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own professional website or online portfolio. For a free trial and 10% off, go to squarespace.com and use offer code SPP. That's offer code SPP. I got to say, speaking from experience, Squarespace is beautiful, it's easy, and it's convenient. I've done it, and I don't even know how to build websites. Squarespace is constantly improving their platform with new features, new designs, and even better support. They have over 20 highly customizable templates for you to choose from. And as I mentioned, it's incredibly easy to use. But if you want help, Squarespace has an amazing support team that works 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It starts at just $8 a month and includes a free domain name if you sign up for a year. Every design automatically includes a unique mobile experience, so you don't have to worry about what your site looks like on phones and tablets. You know it will look beautiful. Squarespace takes care of that for you. Now here comes the most important part. Start with the trial with no credit card required and start building your website today. When you decide to sign up for Squarespace, make sure to use the offer code SPP to get 10% off and to show your support for our podcast. Enjoy the rest of the show. And it makes you realize how many technologies are behind such a simple concept of, of mail. I mean, it's obviously not a simple process because of all the moving parts and all that kind of stuff. But I talk to Chris about this all the time where I say, 
you know, if I'm going to send a letter to somebody in California, I can send them a letter for 46, 49 cents, whatever the stamp price is now. And I know that in two, maybe three days, it'll, it'll get there. But I don't think about everything that that letter has to do, whether it's a manual component or a technology-based component and all that type of stuff. And it really is crazy to sit there and break down all the levels of technology, all the levels of people, infrastructure, that type of thing that something like that must go through. No, the technology is really, it, it seems like, oh, it's just mail. You know, it's the mailman. It's the post office. Right. And to be honest, you know, I, I think I told you, I started my career, I was a systems integrator. I was very doing very high-tech stuff. I was doing working on the internet when I was darpening that, you know. And hmm. how do you get into mail? Well, you know, there was what I found was a lot of diversity, a lot of interest, a lot of complexity, a lot of problems to be solved, and a lot of growth of technology um, making this happen. So I found it interesting. But I have a funny story. We recently have had new management come into Pitney Bowes. We had pretty much always had insiders running, uh, becoming the chairman. You know, somebody came up through the through the ranks, they became the chairman. You know, we uh, so we were kind of a little bit inbred in the way we looked at things, but we, we survived and we evolved. But we've been challenged in, uh, in recent years, and the board's challenged to figure out how to help keep things going. And I think you know modern boards are, are getting being held much more accountable. And uh, the board decided to bring in an outsider. And uh, just about a year ago, a little over a year ago in December, they brought in an IBMer to be the CEO of Pitney Bowes. His name's Mark Lautenbach, and he comes from a long line of Lautenbachs at IBM that have, brought, have been executives and uh, involved in, in IBM. And the guy is, guy is amazingly bright and schooled as a businessman. And he brought in a guy to run the mailing business because we do more than just basic mail, to run the global mailing business. This gentleman was a, was a retired IBM executive, not older, but you know, in his 50s, and came back to Sydney, this is the respect he had for Mark Lautenbach, and I said, hey, he said, Bill, what, what do you think I ought to do to learn this business? I said, let's go to a processing plant together. So we'd been on board about a month, and we, we off we went to a, a processing plant. Now, now, this individual, his name is Mark Shear. He, was, uh, he had run the, the mini computer business for IBM. He'd run the mainframe computer for IBM, the business for IBM. He's a very much a technically embedded guy in the technology industry, highly respected, runs big, big businesses. And so Mark and I go off to a, a postal processing center. We spend three or four hours walking around uh, with the plant manager. And he walks out after the four hours, and he was like, oh, my God, I can't believe how much technology I just saw. The reading technologies, whether it be scanning or barcode reading or optical character reading, the sorting technologies, the information technology, the printing technologies, the planning and scheduling. He goes, I just saw more technology than I ever would have dreamt. And this is a guy who spent his life infomating and putting out, taking technology and putting it into other businesses. Took an inside view of a, a huge postal sorting facility. There's about several hundred of these around the country. But, and he was like, I never dreamt there was that much technology involved in the mail. And he goes, this is fascinating. So 
the nice thing is, it gave me some credibility in terms of, wow, this guy's not just an old-fashioned mailing guy. He's a technology guy involved in this intersection of physical mail and uh, the future of technology and competitiveness. And we've been great partners ever since. And I really, uh, I, I found it fascinating to get a technology executive who's pretty up, very up-to-date, very keen on uh, technology watcher and leader to take a look inside an old post office and say, wow, look at all that technology. In preparation of this interview, I was looking at Pitney Bowes as a company in terms of the number of patents they hold, the number of acquisitions they've made just recently. And as a company, you guys are a leading technology company. I'm amazed at how much the company has evolved over the last 80, 90 years to become where it is today. And a lot of that is you guys keeping up with technology and being leaders in technology and just kind of, I guess, visionaries and saying, hey, this could happen however many years down the road and moving towards those ways of business. Yeah. And I'll tell you, big companies, it's hard for them to evolve. Right. I'm fairly, you know, I'm fairly proud of 50 Post. I identify with it. It's hard to identify with a corporation, but it has good values. It's been very focused on uh, understanding its future and its strategy. And it's made, in the last 10 years, it's, made, it's been probably more difficult than the, the previous 80. It's made some very difficult decisions and done them at a time where you know, others have not, other big brands have not been able to find their way through this. And we were right in the middle of it. And you know, we made some mistakes, but the thing is we took action. We made decisions. It's been very difficult. We've changed. Uh, we've had to do transformation, which sometimes is a code word for, you know, reducing staff and jobs. <laughs> but, it, but it's also, you know, revamping your skill sets and, and your footprint and how you deliver service to the client. And it's, uh, while in some ways it's, it could be viewed as painful, I mean, my mother said to me one time, like, gosh, you know, you're so involved. What you do is, it's interesting but it's also very hard on people. And, you know, I'm like, it's hard on people, but it's harder if you disappear and nobody has a job. You need to create value constantly. And that, you know, this company I'm kind of proud of is that it's found its way to do that. And uh, it's been able to, to keep its core values and capabilities, but move through the change. And I I, I hope we uh, continue to grow. I'm pretty excited right now with the, the new management team. Well, yeah, actually, let's talk about that for a minute. Having been there for 30 years, and I think only fairly recently, and maybe this is a generalization, but the thought of staying with a company for so long has become not only a difficult thought, but almost uncool, if you will. You know, like nobody at the end of the day wants to be like, my whole life was spent in a company. But if you, like you said, identify with the company, enjoy it, it treats you well, you treat them well. You know, it's something that can't really be taken for granted. That's a big deal. And so in that time, how do you think somebody like a Pitney Bowes is able to make change? Because it's a difficult process when it's so large, when you have boards, when you have so many layers that you have to work through as opposed to smaller, more nimble companies. And so I want to see, is there a secret sauce? Is there something you see as part of the executive team that really, you know, they emphasize transparency or openness or values or mission, all that stuff? Wow. I don't think there's a secret sauce because things change from generation to generation and movements of people. 
I do think culture makes a difference. And corporate culture, people say, what's a corporate culture? I mean, they're really just out there, just uh, evil entities that are self-sustaining <laughs> right. around to, to make a profit. And they're all working, you know, in the pro- it's all about profit and revenue and growth. They, they, some, I was listening to somebody talk about them as uh, entities, of, organic ent- entities of, in and of themselves. Well, if they are entities in and of themselves, and there is a lot to be said about that, there are different types, too. And I think that the culture or personality of corporations can be very different. And Pitney Bowes' culture was set way back by the son-in-law of one of the founders, a guy named Walter Wheeler, through the war years. And he was very employee-focused. He was very much about listening to the employees and working with the community. And that sort of became the bedrock of this company. And it was one of the things, I will tell you, a year after I joined Pitney Bowes, I mean, I had I owned my own technology company and was doing really well, but my partner was a, was a little shady and was really very uncomfortable. And I'm like, I can't do this. I can't live like this. And I came to Pitney after being sort of a shaker and making good money. I mean, in my 20s, we were... We had, few PC stores. We had you know, a couple of education centers. I was really kicking it. And I come back to Pitney Bowes to do this technology planning. And I couldn't stand it here. I was like, this is horrible. Hmm. It's so slow. It's, uh, I, you know, I, I was begging my wife at the time to leave. <laughs> and she was like, no, 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 no. You went there so we could start a family and settle down rather than you work 100 hours a week. And, you know, I'm like, okay, 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 I'll stay. The one thing I found it saying is its employee focus created, you know, a community, created a sense of purpose, created some level of security. And that level of security for me represented not, gee, I had a job and I got to go home every day because I didn't have that kind of DNA. It, it said to me, wow, I can do lots of different jobs here. I can go do international jobs. I ran, I ran international IT in my, you know, I was maybe 30 and I was running huge international IT organization. That, to me, was an opportunity to move around. So I took the employee focus as, as a way to have more latitude. I wasn't always looking to go up. I was looking for, I was experiential as a human being, you know. So other people found that employee focus meant that I knew where I was going to be tomorrow. I found a lot of our engineers were awesome engineers, but they weren't as driven as, say, a startup engineer would be around. They weren't as coin-operated in terms of trying to make money and how do I leverage this, and if I work this hard, will I not only do something cool, but get really rich because of it. A lot of them were, they wanted to do something cool, and they wanted to have a family and uh, have time for it. So it was kind of a, you know, that culture, that employee culture, I fell in love with, and, you know, I, I was able to, itch, you know, scratch my itches, which was, I mean, I probably had 20 different jobs in the, just in the last 20 years, and they've all been interesting, and they've, they've allowed me to, to sort of move around. I mean, I was running our global product marketing organization. For, we had a lot of products, and, and that, that was pretty cool, but I had been doing it for five years at this point, or four years at this point, and I couldn't, and, I, and they, I talked to the management team, and they said, yeah, let's leverage you differently, Bill, and what do you think? And I kind of came up with, I want to work with enterprise customers. And I said, well, why don't we have you work with the enterprise folks? I mean, companies don't do that a lot. We, we value talent. You can't just hang out here because you're a good person. But you can hang out. If you have talent, you get a lot of opportunity. And you get a, a, a little bit more security than you would in a startup. You don't have the same level of reward, but you do well. And that's culture. We found a way to deal. I love, I honestly, I love what you just said. I know John does too. I mean, he's sitting here with a smile on his face. <laughs> it represents 
so much of the way I feel, the, 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 the things I believe in, but in a different manner. So having you worked there for 30 years, yet one of your first statements was, I wasn't looking for a place where I just had security. That's not in my DNA. And that is so paramount to me because it's not in my DNA at all. I always say comfort to me is being uncomfortable. So to hear you say that, yet you found a place where you could be for 30 years, and then the explanation of that is, look, I could have gone to 30 different companies once a year and bounced around and not made more money, really, and had to deal with so many different managerial teams, but you found a place where it gave you the same experience of 30 different companies with the one overarching agreement that I, I like where I am, I'm making good money, I'm in a place that I believe in. So it's just a way, honestly, that I've never viewed a, a large company. And I, I that was kind of mind-blowing for me. No, it is, well, you know, I think part of it is they kind of were like, you know, hey, you're a real high-potential guy. We want to put you on the track to be uh, a candidate to be the top guy back years ago. And it's I had family situations that made it like, well, you know, I got other things you got to deal with. Right. And, and I came from a family that was very balanced and, and, and very, you know, good emotional intelligence. And I was like, you know, I don't need to be king. I, I only, you know, I, <laughs> I, I really want to, I want to actualize as much as possible and grow. So I I've been similar level for over 20 years, mm -hmm. you know, where I'm, I'm not running a $500 million business. But I'm very comfortable dealing with the guys that do and the board and, you know, the C-suites of different corporations. And, you know, we was able to actualize. I think if I was trying to be king, I'd probably move around. Right. Well, and that's one of the things we talk about a lot on the podcast, like you mentioned. And it's something it took me 10 years to learn. I'm still learning it, but I think this has helped a lot is that whole the experience is just as much as the outcome or the goal. You might have sacrificed something in the end, how much does it mean if you're making X amount versus X plus 100K or whatever, you know? But you've seen so many different aspects that at the end of the day, your knowledge base is so much larger and will benefit you and your family so much more. At least that's what I believe. And I guess I could be putting words in your mouth, but that's what I'm hearing. And I, I enjoy that message. No, it, it's true. And, you know, I feel fortunate that I found a place like that. I feel lucky that I was a, I was I had was smart enough to say, hey, this isn't so bad. Because I I have crossroads in my career where I mean a Gartner group wanted me to run something back in the early nineties that was really cool with their OIS service. And to me as a technologist that seemed really cool. Another uh, big PC distributor wanted me to come in and, and be their CIO and I was like, wow and and the numbers were much different than I was thinking. But it was it didn't balance with what I wanted out of life. And uh I think a lot of people don't know how to make those decisions. I feel lucky that I made them the way I made them and worked out real well. And Bill, again, thank you so much for your time today. We really enjoyed talking to you. I, I mean, this stuff's fascinating and it's surprisingly fascinating. You know, it's one of those things that we love when we can have a show and not know what's going to come out of it because it's something we're unfamiliar with and then be pleasantly surprised. So really appreciate it. You know, I was thinking to myself, why would you guys want to talk about mail? You're, I mean, I've listened to and looked at a lot of your guests and said, wow, why would you be interested in mail? So hopefully... <laughs> It wasn't too boring, and hopefully it, it allows your listeners uh, something to think about. Yeah, and that's actually one of the things that Chris and I discussed. We never think about the mail. We should talk about it because it really is. Like nobody, nobody really thinks about the mail. It's just something that's been going on for so long, 
and people take it for granted. So it's, it's definitely really cool to hear some stories about what goes on in the background and hear about the technologies too. I was surprised you guys were interested and, uh, I just have a, I'm glad to be able to talk about Pitney Bowes as a brand and the mailing and shipping industry as uh, something that's changing the lives of people. So I, I, look, I appreciate that opportunity. Absolutely. All right, Bill. Well, again, thanks so much and enjoy the rest of your weekend. It's almost time to get back to work. <laughs> All right. John and Chris, you too. Thank you. All right. Thanks. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Hope you guys enjoyed that interview with Bill. I know I was pleasantly surprised that we were able to sit down for that long and talk about the mail industry. I mean, it's, it is, it's, it's so cool. I, I enjoy it. I enjoy that we, we talk to people from all kinds of industries, and it's just it's nice to get out there and learn about something that you never thought you would want to learn about. Do you remember way back in the day, we interviewed a guy about bed bugs. Oh, yeah. I loved that cool, interview. I know. It's that guy these, was so cool. It's these quirky ones sometimes that really catch you off guard. So, guys, again, thanks for joining us. Feel free to let a friend know. Leave us a comment, rating, subscribe, all that good stuff. And if you want to perhaps see the philosophical side of Smart People Podcast with some quotes and what we learn in all these episodes, check out ChrisStemp.com. I've been writing about these things and trying to get along some of the messages that we learn in a little bit of a different fashion. Yeah, and if you guys want to send us some real mail, shoot us an email first at smartpeoplepodcast.com, <laughs> and then I'll go ahead and, and give you that mailing address. Why the hell would they mail us? Hey, man, people like sending postcards and that type of thing. Maybe they'll send some presents. I don't know. Hey, if you want some books, let us know. Yeah, and we'll use the mail and send those books out to you. So Seriously, drop I have a us ton a of books from people that we've interviewed, and uh, you know I've read them. Yeah, we've read them. We might as well let somebody else read them. Yeah, yeah. Drop us a line, tweet at us, Smart People Pod, or send us a message on Facebook, and we'll send some books your way. Thanks for listening. Join us next week. Another killer interview. Mm-hmm.